I'm Teffer. I'm Bailey. And I'm Eunice. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah! Yeah. We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own and that we engage in conversation and challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the indigenous communities of that area. So this week, I bet you thought we were done with the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Surprise! We're not. There is a fifth book in the series, which came out in 2015. I know some of you didn't know about it because some of you have talked with me on Twitter about not knowing about it. It is called Sisterhood Everlasting, and it revisits the sisterhood when they are almost 30 um and kind of a mess so uh let's find out what Anne Brasher has finally decided to do with Tibby kill her off she's dead spoiler alert no longer (laughs) so we see the sisterhood fragmented spread across the world dissatisfied, unhappy, struggling to reconnect with one another. And they get mysterious letters in the mail from Tibby, and they all go to Greece to reconnect, except, surprise, Tibby is dead. And that's basically where this book goes. When it first came out, I loved it. I really, like, I read it a bunch, and I found it really cathartic and nice, even though I had a few moments of, like, well... Um, this time I had a lot more moments of, well, but I will say that I finished the book and had a nice cozy feeling because the fantasy of buying a farm with some of my closest friends and having like stable, beautiful living space with community support and a vegetable garden is really charming and wholesome and, you know, what we all want these days, right? So... Yeah, for for a, like aggressively hetero author who refuses to acknowledge the existence of queer people, she ends this book with an extremely queer fantasy. Um, I like that interpretation of it. I'm going to pocket that and like run with that because while there were a lot of things that I was like, okay, like it makes more sense in this book for all the characters to be like this chaotic I feel like because it does kind of capture adulthood a little bit like especially like adulthood um like as you kind of as like friendships grow and change and things like that and like life hits you (laughs) um and all the adulting that is happening I don't like how it was actually explored with the individual characters but that's kind of always been my problem with these books in this in this read through although i do like that this book being the sisterhood in adulthood book the way that it was exploring themes i just don't like how she did it <laughs> like i think there was potential to have like a really good book about 
like where things go after like you know like as you grow up and as people change and as like different miles you hit different milestones mm-hmm. i liked that concept i did not really like how everything was tackled and it almost felt like i don't know in this read through i felt that it was again landing on that like weird like sisterhood like white feminism like that like it was just landing so hard on that and i didn't even at the end i didn't really really believe that all of the girls now women really even liked each other it was just so hard to believe that they all were going to connect and like have this thing like just because there was just so much miscommunication so much like I, yeah i just like didn't believe that they would yeah yeah well maybe tibby really wouldn't have gotten along with them right like tibby does drop off the map for two years i will say one of the like points that i appreciate about the book is it is a very believable millennial portrait of adulthood for me like i i do really like that even though all of them are from stable like financially stable homes because like even Carmen even though like Carmen is supposed to have a poorer family or whatever they still like they're not struggling they just have an apartment instead of a suburban house and then she has a super wealthy stepfather um I like that despite that we don't see them sort of rolling over generational wealth they're all struggling they're all kind of figuring their careers out in one way or another and that is very realistic to me um I do think it kind of sucks that before she gets killed off, Tibby doesn't even get a successful career. Like, Tibby, who's been working her butt off as a filmmaker, finally makes it because Brian is a STEM guy. <laughs> and it's like, yep. I'm, I'm torn on it. Because actually, mm-hmm. I think the sort of bleak professional picture of, like, you can be professional and hate your job, you can be successful and hate your job, or you can be broke and struggling is, like very realistic um but also like what the fuck happened to bridget like why is that what like what like what like bridget went to play soccer for brown bridget is 30 bridget is not playing soccer anymore and nobody ever addresses what happens like it's not even like it's not even like Bridget played for the women's team and then had an injury, you know, which would be a believable inspiration for her spinning out. But like, yeah. it's not. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, Bridget played soccer to meet Eric. And now that she and Eric are together, Bridget doesn't play <laughs> soccer. It's so, yeah, that part is so fucking ridiculous. Because there's there's the point where she talks, where she's like musing about like, she had like purpose in university when she was playing soccer and then university ended and soccer ended and it's like if she's as good as Amber Shares has told us this whole time she would have been like drafted to a fucking national team or something what happened also just to go back to the point about Tibby but she doesn't need to have a successful career because her greatest achievement is motherhood yeah not that being a parent is not an incredible achievement but it's it's very strange how that's portrayed in the book I feel like I mean it was used multiple times like motherhood and having children was used multiple times in the book 
to like change someone's like perspective on things and like or like have like a come to Jesus moment <laughs> like it, it just it was a big part of Bridget's storyline um, and then Carmen has that weird thing at the end where it's just like uh, I mean there's so many problems with that whole bit but like yeah when Carmen has that thing where she meets that family on the train and her holding this baby and she's like oh I'm realizing all of these things about myself um which yeah I just think that like there are things like on one hand like the stilted like growth and development that all of these like women face is like yes they need help they need therapy but like the solution in this book was like they just need a baby in their life and and then it'll be okay they can just heal through their children like and it's not even just a baby it's it's a man and if you already have a man and that's not working a baby yeah or, yeah. you know, in Carmen's case, both. All three. Um, all one. So, okay. Yes, I think we should dive right into this motherhood piece. I did not remember that there's some real iffy kind of anti-choice shit in the middle of this book when Bridget finds out she's pregnant and really, like, is not in a position where she, like is super well supported like she gets there eventually but like and Mm -hmm. she's like no I want to get an abortion and the nurse is like you need to think about it and talk to your boyfriend about it trust me you'll and like Bridget is just like oh my god thank you so much I'm gonna do that and it's just like no this is not like no this is irresponsible on the nurse's part like no matter what Bridget's final decision is, and we do see her ultimately, like, glad, I just feel like it's very, very irresponsible to de- depict that as responsible medical care, because it's not. Mm-hmm. That said, yeah. I do this on this read-through. I did find something really lovely and healing in Bridget exploring herself as a nurturer and a provider and discovering Mm -hmm. that she can be a good caregiver for small children because of Bridget's baggage because we know that Bridget's Mm -hmm. mother was not a good mother because of her mental illness and because of her struggles and because of her lack of support and Mm -hmm. seeing Bridget go on this sort of journey of discovering oh I really like all the same things kids like to do and I can be a good parent as I'm looking at parenthood um I did find that really nice I uh, I'm in this position where there were like isolated storylines where if I take them out of context I'm like yes this is nice (laughs) a titty titty as like the Madonna is not believable to me at all not even a little bit no not no like titty the way Tibby is treated in, like, it, it's just, it's just further, like, affirmation of what we've been talking about before. Like, Tibby doesn't really, like, isn't well-defined as a character, isn't, because, mm-hmm. 
Like, I feel like Amber Sharris has just decided some totally new things about her for this book. Absolutely. She has, like, a whole new personality. And they're like, she was the glue that held us together. And I'm just like, at what point was she the glue? Yeah, (laughs) no. (laughs) At zero points. Um, But I do, there are are things about the Bridget and Bailey storyline that I do really like. I agree with that. Um, and particularly, yeah, like Bridget sort of like realizing that like nurturing and like that kind of thing is like something that comes naturally to her. And I feel like it also like it of various things like actually kind of makes sense too, because we've seen sort of similar things with like her like coaching and stuff and actually like really being able to connect well with kids and stuff. But I would have liked it so much more if it had gone in the direction of like, and Bridget decided she was going to be a teacher or something as opposed to, and now she's going to be a mother forever. <laughs> like, again, but it's it's just very... Or like even just this relationship that's already established, she's going to stick around and help Brian with Bailey because Brian really needs help with Bailey, you know? Like, yeah. you didn't need to give her a whole new baby that wasn't yeah i mean i'm not anti-babies clearly but like yeah no it's not like you hit 30 and there's a baby timer it's not like if you hit 30 and there's not a baby in your life yet you're fucked like (laughs) (laughs) that is kind of how uh that is kind of the moral of this book though (laughs) Yeah. In 30 and there's not a baby in your life, you're fucked. And then if there's a baby, everything's fine. Yeah. Okay. I just, I feel, I, I feel like I absolutely, as the resident parent here, have to just establish <laughs> that while babies are lovely, <laughs> there is nothing about having a baby that makes your life easier. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> babies are very cute they can bring a lot of joy they can be a lot of fun but there is absolutely not one single way that a baby makes your life easier a baby only adds responsibility stress and sleeplessness if you have poor mental health bridget and your plan for solving that poor mental health and brochures is to have a baby you are going to end up with yeah. postpartum depression and a young woman who has a family history of extremely severe depression this is so irresponsible don't have babies to fix things. Yes. Have babies if you want yeah. a baby or if you get pregnant and you're just like, well, okay. And, you know, but if it's like, I just, I do, I I mean, uh It's also a very irresponsible, like, portrayal of parenthood towards the children. Like, because it's, it's seeing, like, children as objects that are going to make your life better. Um, which is a very problematic way to think about children, in my opinion. No, yeah, I just think that the solution, like, we've been saying, like, everyone needs therapy and needs to work through this in therapy, but, like, the solution on the table was just have children. Um, but we, as we all know, that's how you pass down these, like, you know, like, generational, like, trauma and things like that. So I just don't think that it was a great way of um, 
of dealing with it. And and also, like, I have to say on the first read through, I remember or, or or what I remembered about this book was that they were not in their 20s. They were they were in their 30s. And so like when I read it this time around and I was like, oh, they're actually kind of young, like, like not having hit 30 yet. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know about this. Like, I really just don't feel good about the way that they all had to like either, I don't know, by the end of the book had to like, you had to see like either they were going to be in a relationship with somebody or they were like, I don't know, going to start a family of their own. Um, like that's where it was like culminating to like it had nothing to do with like what they were going to be doing like career wise it had nothing to do with like which is like fine but like I felt like so much of the focus was about like rearing children and (laughs) and like who they were going to be and like end up with so while I liked the idyllic farm life thing that we were trying to (laughs) strive for in the end I just think that like realistically I feel like Amber Shares is probably more just being like and they're going to be complete because they're family and the family means that like they have children now or they're gonna get married to somebody or you know like yeah but can we talk about how to be like writing these letters and also just like the circumstances surrounding her death how like all of this was like super manipulative and how like I just hate it when books do that thing where like a character dies and then they like communicate to their loved ones via letter and like then the person like who's who's grieving is just like bumbling through like life trying to like I don't know like follow this person like this person who they really cared about who has died and follow their like last like wish for them and how like that just doesn't seem like something that Tibby would do just knowing her character in the past like four books yeah it's it's a very weird move for Tibby it's like it's a non Tibby mm-hmm. move and like I feel like the message we get is that Tibby is doing this because she had a baby and it changed her. And like, I'm sure that mm. part of it is also that she got a terminal diagnosis, which changed her outlook, which I get. But like, Tibby is far more somebody to make a like black humor documentary about the end of her yeah. life, you know? Like, Tibby is the kind of person yeah. who would make a documentary about dying with Huntington, dying of Huntington's. And then just, like, send them a copy mm-hmm. after she died. Like, that's the Tibby move. Yeah. <laughs> like, And, like, yes, people change. Like, but, like, eh? I feel like Amber Sherris has this fascination. And she, like, kind of calls herself out for this in the book. With, like, terminal illness making you wise. And, like, it's like Manic Pixie Dying Girl. <laughs> like... <laughs> perfect because she does the exact same thing with Timmy that she did with Bailey and she even calls herself out for it Um, manic pixie dying girl perfect okay I'm not wrong though 
It's so no, good. It's so good. You're not wrong. <laughs> well, and that's why it's Tibby, right? That's why it's got to be Tibby, because Tibby is picking up Bailey's pants. Bailey, who at 12 years old, dying of terminal cancer, was taking care of everybody. Shit, that's what it, I'm so angry. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, it's not, only, and yeah. it's not only that. It's like she makes Bridget also then go through the same thing with her, like, the same thing with that she went with her mom went through with her mom she goes through again with tibby because the circumstances like they don't get all the information and so she's just like how could she do the same thing that my mom did to me and like then she spirals and then it's like why are we doing these this to these characters again and again and again like why like like why is this happening (laughs) again and again and again yeah. So speaking of people who are completely different in this book from the last book, should we talk about Carmen? Because mm. the only thing yeah. that Carmen has that is similar is that she's still in the closet. She still dates guys she doesn't like. I mean, I guess one thing that carried over was the insecurity piece, right? Like. Yeah. I guess she's, like, now back to college Carmen, mm-hmm. who, like, mm-hmm. like I, oh, I, I thought the last book dealt with that and, like, crushed it, and, like, it's coming back again, but this time she's just, like, even way, like, I don't know, she's just, like, can't get out of it. Like, it's just... Well, so here's the thing that keeps happening with Carmen's character Every arc that Carmen's character has, she makes progress. And then at the beginning of every book, she's she that progress hasn't stuck. Like, there's something about the way Carmen's mm-hmm. character is written that she is not allowed to keep and build on that progress. And it's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to bring it back to the um, motherhood fixing you piece. Because the happy ending that we're supposed to believe in for Carmen, it's not just motherhood and it's not just a man it's that she meets a family on a train and has like one night of connection with the dad and discovers that she likes the baby but they're also latino so latinx Mm -hmm. so you know that they're you know meant to be because he won't mind if her ass gets big and after one night on a train together we're supposed to believe that this family is going to fit the hole in Carmen's heart. And now she's all set. Mm-hmm. And, like, on the one hand, for what's his name, Roberto? I, like, I want to believe in it for yeah. him. Because, you know, shacking up with a famous actress would definitely take care of the issue where he has to leave his kids with his sister so that he can work enough to get them a home. But, like, it's, like, just, like, proximity to children. And, like, step-parenting is hard. Step-parenting is hard. Dating as a parent is hard. Step-parenting and dating as a parent when your wife died within the year? And having this idea that because she is Latina, she can just fill in the place of his dead wife? And it will be, like, nothing... Like, there's just, like, dating with kids involved is so much riskier. And you have to go so much slower. And you have to be so much more careful. 
And we're supposed to believe that Carmen's happy ending is that she meets a family on the train, they go their separate ways, they talk on the phone sometimes, and now it's going to be happily ever after. And like, I understand, I understand this is a romance book. And like, to some extent, I have to Mm -hmm. suspend this. But it really takes this idea of like, what you need is a man or a child or ideally both and makes it into here is Carmen's entire missing puzzle piece and on top of that they speak Spanish and it's just like Carmen is the only one of them with a career mm-hmm. like Lena has a career she's mm-hmm. teaching she's painting but she it's not prominent in her life we really get the sense that she's in a rut and like not progressing the way she wants to be and not seeing the kind of success she wants to be I'm sure that Marion Costos, the famous finance boy, is going to help her, right? This is what we keep seeing. We see them all professionally struggling with professionally successful boyfriends. Yeah. And it pisses me off. Like, Bridget is Mm -hmm. having her little meltdown because Mm -hmm. Eric is a successful lawyer. I mean, sure, he's a lawyer who takes smaller cases to help immigrants, but he can still withdraw $100,000 from his bank account. Like, why do they live in an apartment? I... (laughs) And um, and, and Tibby is able to do all of this and provide for them because Brian has a fancy STEM job. And we have Carmen, who is the only person who is providing for herself, who also, we get the sense, got where she was because of the guy she was dating. Mm-hmm. And then, but oh no, she has this big hole in her heart that only a very cute baby can fill. Like, just come mm-hmm. on. <laughs> No, this is why I don't believe that this is a book about growth and like finding yourself because it just is so artificial, right? Like none of these people, like you're, you're also like, I think this book particularly, you're even more in each of the characters' heads, like even more so than the past four books. Um, because at least in the four bo- the past four books, they were talking to each other via the pants and like, sending each other letters and things like that so like even in the like little sections where it was just them on their own journey like apart from the other sisters like you got there was a little bit more interspersed throughout the book maybe my mistake of listening to this book because it was just like stretches of somebody's like internal like dialogue with themselves and it was just like how can you have so many conversations with yourself and just still not like really change or get anywhere? <laughs> like, how can you be both so like self-aware because all of them are like kind of narrating their own stories at this point and of like everything they're thinking and like what they should do and what they shouldn't do. Like Lena's storyline, for example, we haven't even gotten there, but like the whole time she's like, I know this is what I should be doing, but I don't, I'm not going to do it because I'm not brave enough or whatever. Like it's just been like five books of this. And it's like, if you know this about yourself, like I get it. Like I'm very much in my head and like, and I get that whole like, idea but like to do this for five books and still not get anywhere or like land in the same place that you began it's just like 
so frustrating, especially when it's supposed to be a book about like growth and changing and identity and sisterhood. Like there's none of that actually happening for real. It's just kind of like, so like, I don't know. It's yeah. It's like, it's a theory. It's like abstract. It's there, but it's like, nothing's really like grounded and nothing like is really real about like any of the relationships in my opinion. So I really enjoyed the Lena storyline in this one. And like I've said my criticism of it and I, I, I stand by that criticism of it. It doesn't like Lena dating Drew doesn't make sense to me because Lena is not somebody who dates people idly. Like Lena is somebody who like mm-hmm. dates very deliberately and it would make a lot more sense to me for Lena to just be single. Um, which I guess she kind of is. Mm-hmm. Like, her thing with Drew is very casual. But, like, I just have a lot of trouble believing that Lena, after her, like, fireworks of different kinds with Custis and Leo, is now just, like, mm-hmm. wi- just with some guy. Just literally some guy. And, like, we don't... But no, it happened to her, though. Like, it happened to her, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's not even her, like, yeah, pursuing it or anything. I think it, things just mm-hmm. happened to her because, you know, she's beautiful or whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. I almost with Lena would believe it more if she was like dating the dean of the arts department or something like someone powerful who she didn't care about right mm-hmm. because this is once again a situation where Lena's power is uh, Lena's beauty is power but Lena's beauty mm-hmm. is completely defanged in these books and that is endlessly frustrating to me because like while I don't believe that beauty should hold power, beauty does hold power. And it's basically, apart from talent, which is significant and should be more significant, um, it's basically the only power Lena has. And we see her as so disempowered. And I would love to have seen Lena mm-hmm. have like embraced her beauty and the power of it, embraced her beauty and her talent, and used that to, you know have a partner who's at least like somewhat useful to her. Um, I mean, not that Drew doesn't. Drew's sandwiches sound dope. I'm not. I'm not trying to trash the man's art. But anyway, all that to say, all that to say, I have said before that I identify very closely with Lena's tendency to build romance up in her head, make it a big thing, get really invested, and overthink it, and just never move. Um, that's very much my tendency, mm-hmm. and it's a tendency that, like, I have <laughs> evaded by being a serial monogamist. Um, <laughs> but, like, because I think because that's something I've been engaging with a lot recently and, like, thinking about a lot of, like, what is this and, like, how do I work on it? Um, I appreciated seeing someone my age who still didn't have it figured out. Um, because like I think I do think that like you know we are all 30 or approaching 30 now and like I do feel like this is an age talking with my friends where you start finding your like your big flaw that you haven't worked on yet and like get to the point where you're like okay this is the thing that I've been avoiding dealing with and now I've dealt with all the other stuff and I really need to deal with this a little bit like so I get that 
I found Lena and Costas' storyline really romantic. I really liked Costas showing up to take care of her. I really like that we see Costas just selflessly loving Lena over and over. We really do see him. Like, I mean, he's had his flaws, and I don't think he would be as realistic as a character if he didn't have the moments where he showed up being like, aren't we going to move in together now? And Lena has to be like, no, (laughs) what are you talking about? Um, But I really appreciated how he's... He's sort of lived his own life. He's had his own things going on. But still, when she needs help, he'll drop everything and take care of her. And I I think it is an interesting facet of his character for me that Costos does not wait around the way Lena does. Like, if Lena sends him away, he goes and he dates somebody. Because, like, you know, he's not going to spend his whole life on hold waiting for Lena. And she sort of expects that. Like, she expects that if he doesn't have his whole life on hold, it's because he's forgotten about her completely. Because she can't, like, comprehend loving somebody and still going on with your life. Which is interesting in a codependent kind of way. But I thought it was, I thought it was a very romantic storyline. I don't think it needed Tibby's letter to get there. The months of them writing actual letters back and forth is so hot. That's so hot. I like that so much. Like, yes, please. More slow burning romance by letter. Like, yes. Fuck yes. Mm -hmm. I'm there for that. I've said that before. I really like the slow game. Anyway. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. I thought it was nice. If this book... (laughs) If this book or a book could have just been that isolated storyline, like Lena and Kostos falling in love again, figuring their shit out. Um, instead of Tibby's letters at the end, Lena could just, you know, learn how to... She could have just sent the letter she almost sent, which is like, are you in love with her? And then, boom, we would have got there. And that would have been a very good and satisfying book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is my feelings on the subject. So maybe Amber Shears has a favorite sister. Um, and... That's the more well-developed storyline. Because I know what you... I I think I totally agree with what you were saying. Is like the letters were great. Like that type of communication. If that was the book, like, yeah, this would be a great book. It'd be a great romance. It would be well thought out, fleshed out. Like giving each character like their due on the page. Like, however, this book is mostly like like I was saying before like the internal like struggle for each of the girls like each of the women and like that's what more than like I think 70% of the book is to be honest Mm -hmm. so I just think that like maybe like for this book the way that she wrote the other books just don't work out you know like maybe she should have just change it up and tried a different way of writing it because it is true that like when you are so like isolated in each of their storylines with no one to like kind of buffer that it's such a hard read and it's so hard to kind of just get through like pages and pages of like internal struggle after internal struggle with like seemingly no no end no solution for it and it's just like ah, like, you just want more for these characters. Like, after being with them for five books, you just, like, you want to see more for them. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't think it ever gets 
to the point where you're like, yes, I feel like they've kind of gotten somewhere. Like they've made their way in the world. Um, They have great little interludes, little, little pieces of the story like that work for them in that time. But like, as a whole, as a story, if we're talking about like reading through all five of these books, I don't know if we went anywhere with these characters. Like things happen to them, but like, but more often things happen to them. It's very passive and we're not left with them doing anything active. Like just like even the premise of the story, it's because Tibby wrote these letters and then they're like, things are set in motion. And you don't really see that, like, any of these characters really, like, actually taking ownership of their life and doing something about it. You know, like, that's just, I think, really frustrating for me. It's like, yeah, like, all these little things, like, I think it just culminates in none of these women are actually in control of their lives. Like, that's just very frustrating to see for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if even one of them had started the book off happy, you know? Like, what if we had Bridget, a successful pro soccer player, who's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, salary in women's soccer, I don't know, but who's like, uh, I don't know, ad revenue or whatever, lets Eric take a smaller course load in the cases he wants, right? And mm-hmm. and they have a beautiful sunny loft, and they're really happy, But she gets pregnant and she freaks out and runs off for a while, right? Like that, I Mm -hmm. could believe. Or Carmen is a successful actress and she's happy and she loves her job and she's going and getting it, but her boyfriend kind of sucks. Like there's just a way to Mm -hmm. rewrite all of these storylines that is more positive. (laughs) We Mm -hmm. don't need to believe. Separation from your childhood friends is a natural part of life. Mm-hmm. for people who move right like some people yes mm-hmm. you stay in your community and you have the same friends from childhood but making new friends establishing new support systems that is a natural part of growing and and developing as a person none of them had friends no um <laughs> L- lena has a uh, seven-year-old greek woman who she's pretty close with and that's uh, that's as far as we get uh, what you just said, Tefra, reminds me of like that's actually part of Carmen's storyline where she's like, "No new friends." Like, I don't, I, I don't have room in my heart for anyone else. Yeah. And I was like, "This is weird. Like, this is not good. This is not healthy." Um, I think somebody also mentioned something about codependency. Yeah. And like that's literally just the theme of this book. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps the <this> series. <laughs> Well, and it doesn't make sense to me that Bridget doesn't have any friends. Because of all of them, we see Bridget making friends. Bridget goes to camp. She's outgoing. Mm -hmm. She's gregarious. She makes Mm -hmm. friends. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, what happened to Bridget? Like, none of this is explained. Mm -hmm. They're just all miserable because they are separate from each other. And it's like, I don't know. I've been reconnecting with some old friends recently. It's nice. But like... I don't know if I was like, oh, Eunice and I are doing a podcast together now. Now I don't need any friends. Everything is better. Tell me what to do with my life. Like, no, I would be like, that's not good. <laughs> it's good no. that I have Bailey in my life now. <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> like, sorry, Bailey. Uh, I reconnected with Eunice. So, um, <laughs> you, you know, it's fine. seniority rules. <laughs> <laughs> gonna drop all the friends that we've made since 
um but it also like just thinking about the yeah like the preposterousness of the impossibility like that drawing away from their childhood friends has broken them but it's also like this brings us back to the point that i think we've talked about before like they don't actually have anything in common these four (laughs) characters like there is no grounds for their friendship other than convenience but yeah it's it's just it's so like like you can't absolutely have things in common with childhood friends etc but like we don't get any convincing evidence that any of them like really actually have that much in common or like that um or like another foundation for their friendships which Mm. which is kind of like strange Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and then like the premise of the story is that like even though they don't have the pants which is the thing that held them together they have like the memory of tibby like 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 they needed to replace that with something else and like that was the solution it's like one of them died and so now we are forever connected in the loss of our other friend our the other friend well that's why that's why tibby and brian stayed together right because they were the ones who remembered bailey (sighs) yes so um Okay. Cool. It's not great. <laughs> but like but like it is Oh god. I knew this was going to happen. I knew this I'm so I knew. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. It's good content. I just <laughs> It's just it's true. It's true. It's like you take these books, but this is the thing mm-hmm. when you're when you're writing this book. Now I want to revisit the one that Meg Cabot wrote about Princess Diaries 10 years later. Because I think it was better, but, like, oh, my God, it's so good, Bailey. I mean, at least oh, it was, I was when I read it, like, five years ago. We'll see if it I still holds up. I loved this so much when I was in high school. That's That's got to be our next read-through. This yeah. is the only content we do now. We are not doing other content anymore. <laughs> We're just doing read-throughs. Because I'm fucking tired. Like <laughs> series from the early aughts that has not aged well. That's their new brand. Yeah. No, I... Yeah. yeah I'm just... I, this read through has made me like really worried <laughs> for other books because <laughs> I don't think they aged well at all. But like that's the yeah. thing when you're writing like like Anne Brashares, this book sold itself, right? Like she mm-hmm. she didn't it didn't have to be good. Yeah, <laughs> and like bless her heart, it isn't. I do yeah. have to say, this read-through does make me appreciate, like, how far YA has come. Yeah. And, like, Definitely. all the things that, like, we, like, as us, we were, when we were reading this as teens, like, all the things that we, like, absorbed and, like, the things I think we as adult readers now took for granted um with why like with why as it is now like i'm now realizing like wow there is just better exploration of being a teenager and of Mm -hmm. like i don't know there's just so many things that like this generation has now i think with like talks about like even things like mental health and 
um, like talking about like gender and gender identity, like all of that stuff has just like, there's just so much more now to explore and to do it like honestly and truthfully um, without like these kind of like pretenses and like leaning on stereotypes. And like even things like with like more creators, right? Like of all different backgrounds, like being able to like have the platform and like to explore that in their writing I think that has just added so much to the genre. It really has come such a long way, for sure. I mean, it really has. I I honestly think that just the fact that the genre is no longer dominated by any one author is really significant. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like when Mm -hmm. we were in high school, like there was the Princess Diaries era when princess diaries was the big franchise and everybody was trying to write like the princess diaries and there was the sisterhood mm-hmm. of the traveling pants era where everybody was reading these and trying to write like them and yeah you know then there was the accord of this and that era that went on for a while where everybody was writing the same books there was the sarah Dessen era where everything was sarah Dessen books and the fact that there's such a diversity not just in the authors and in the experiences, but in the genres and the storylines. And we're not just seeing seven books about the same characters anymore. Like, I I think that is a really good thing. Like, I like series of books that revisit the same characters. And those series do <laughs> still exist. They're still happening. But I really, really appreciate how many different kinds of books are getting the spotlight now. And when you're writing, like, four characters, right, they're actually distinct, have different voices, and, like, rely on things that are not just, like, very stereotypical, right? Like, I think there's a lot more nuance in that, and that it doesn't have to be, like, are you the sporty one? Are you the, like, artsy one? Are you the, you know, like, there's a lot. Are you scary? Are you posh? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more to be explored than that yeah so we're not done yet (laughs) we're still doing an episode on the movies which I think is gonna be really fun because I have never liked the movies so we're gonna see how this works out I've really enjoyed this read through for all of its like yikes (laughs) I have still found this really fun and uh, for everybody who's engaged with us around this thank you so much it's been very very fun getting the different like responses to it I feel like we've gotten more like Instagram story shout outs for this than literally anything ever which is extremely (laughs) fun so keep those coming we are going to talk about some movies next week then we're going to take a little hiatus until September Uh, And then we'll be back with more typical content. Or, I don't know, maybe just Princess Diaries books. We'll see. (laughs) Let us know. Let us know. Do you want us to go back to our regular content? Or is this just a nostalgia read-through show (laughs) from here on out? Thanks for listening to Yeah! 
If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyappodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at yappodcast, and individually, I'm on Twitter at thebalesosaurus. And I'm on Instagram at the Unicorn Reads Book. That's unicorn with an E. And I'm uh, everywhere at Tepper Bear. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yabpodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons, Catherine Reshi, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Maddie Dever, Megan Jane, and Emily Patton and Emma Cameron. A uh, quick reminder that you have two weeks to sign up on Patreon if you want to see that good, good, nostalgic high school content. You can sign up at any level to get that. Um, it starts at like a dollar. Uh, I think it's a dollar and a bit Canadian because of exchange rates. Um, but it starts at less than two dollars a month and you can get uh, high school stories, high school photos, high school art, including some fun art that Bailey made based on Twilight. So that is on patreon.com slash podcast only for the next two weeks. We also have merch. Hit the merch link in our description. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at TeePublic. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by me, Tepra Jemian, and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network, and ooh boy, there are a lot of them, at upfordnetwork.com. Bye! Bye! I'm Tom Zalatni, host and producer of the No Bad Food Podcast, a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or right here on the Upford Network. On behalf of the Canadian people, welcome to the Game Great Podcast. Gay and Grey Montreal is a new social group for English-speaking gay elders from the 2S LGBTQIA plus communities. So it's a good way to at least connect with people. Members share their experiences, memories, and opinions on our podcast. Welcome to our community. I hope you feel well. I hope you feel accepted. And I hope that you can share anything that you want. This is some of my story. And I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I have a great story. (laughs) 